The Bharatvarta Weekly is where we discuss the week's most relevant news and events in a calm, measured and interesting way, live with your favorite guests. So if you want to really appreciate the news and actually benefit from it, skip the news and watch the weekly. Namaste and welcome to the Bharatvarta podcast. We're on the 105th weekly. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this lovely Sunday morning. Uh, I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul as well here to run you through the news and events of the week that was. Uh, it was a pretty eventful week. Um, you know, last week, obviously, uh, India celebrated our uh, 76th Independence Day. And, uh, you know, we're going to analyze uh, the Prime Minister's speech at Redford. Uh, there were some pretty interesting remarks that uh, Minister Hardeep Puri uh, made on the Rohingya refugees that uh, got him embroiled in a sort of a Twitter, uh, you know, fury. Uh, as such, so we'll talk about that. Unfortunately, FIFA has suspended the All India Football Federation as well. And then there was a case of BJP revamping the parliamentary committee after about eight years or so. Nirav, Abhishek, how are you guys doing? Um, did you guys see the the videos of the Finnish uh, Prime Minister party? Yeah, so that seems like the latest controversy on the... <laughs> that was like the highlight of the week and kind of like the fun news or the odd news. Yeah, and uh, she took a drug test and I think it was all clean, so all good. PM wants to party. It's a free country, nothing. And uh, hopefully, uh, let's check a lot of people think politics everywhere is all inclusive and uh, you don't need to be like old, boring person to be in politics. So yeah, all good. Yeah, I mean, I was a little conflicted, you know. I mean, I didn't know how to think about it, really, right? I mean, obviously, I mean, as an individual, obviously, you should be free to do, you know, whatever you want, uh, right? Within legal, ethical sort of a framework. But then, I mean, I think you do carry a certain responsibility for your conduct as a public person, right? As a politician or a bureaucrat and so on. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I guess uh, that was that. Let's talk about the couple of episodes we put out last week. Nirav, the one on Kautilyanomics with uh, Sriram Balasubramaniam has been doing really well. What, do, what are the highlights of this episode for you? Yeah, so I think one very good thing is like, so Kautilya or Chanakya has gotten like a bad name, like being compared with Machiavelli and like being a scheming person. A lot of his things have been spoken about or written about are like in Warcraft or like in espionage, etc. He looks at Arthashastra more from an economics angle and uh, finds there are like timeless nuggets. He says how Kautilya calls for like a strong state, calls for the ro role of international trade between different kingdoms, calls that the even in a monarchy at that time, that the uh, legitimacy of power is by welfare of the people. So calls for like a limited welfare state. And so those principles are not just restricted to uh, geography like India or restricted to that time frame. They're a little bit timeless and uh, they're applicable everywhere. So I think it's quite a nice thing. He also like makes it, distills it down for a common person to understand. So I think it's it's a very good thing. It's something for us to be proud of our own culture rather than just looking at like the West for Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, etc. Right. It's a very interesting talk and uh, his book is out, Kautilyanomics. So uh, you can order it either online or uh, through your favorite bookshop. Yeah, no, it's a pretty interesting uh, uh, book for sure, uh, right? I mean, I uh, got to glance through a few chapters. Uh, I've pre-ordered mine. I mean, it should be here sometime next week. Yeah, I mean, any kind of exploration on indigenous thought, right? These kind of concepts just uh, is, is so necessary, right? Kautilya especially, I mean, it, it was shocking to me that, you know, we hadn't discovered or we had forgotten Kautilya for a good amount of our history, right? And it was rediscovered, I think, sometimes the 1800s or 1900s, early 1900s. It leaves me thinking, you know, what else we haven't, uh, you know, got access 
access to at this point of time, right? I mean, considering that the libraries were burnt and, you know, all of those things happened. Yeah, so definitely do check out this episode. It's a very nice episode, very well conducted by Nirav. I had the good fortune of talking to Ami Ganatra, who you've heard multiple times on the podcast. Uh, she's been a both, you know, both a guest and a host uh, on Bharatvarta. Her earlier book was Mahabharata Unraveled, where she spoke about lesser known facets of the Mahabharata. In this case, uh, she looks at uh, Ramayana. She analyzes characters, events, and in a very present lens as well, right? I mean, so for instance, one of the things that you often hear from, you know, supposed modernists is that uh, the Ramayana was uh, sexist and misogynist. And she lays the facts bare on, on that front, for instance, right? I mean, talking about how a lot of the things uh, in uh, Bhagwan Ram's life was driven by the women, uh, whether it was Kaikeyi or Sita or, or even Shurpanaka, right? So fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation. Uh, do get the book as well. We've linked it in the description. Definitely check out that episode. So two very nice episodes. Uh, they've been doing really well. Uh, if you haven't seen the episodes uh, yet, I mean, I encourage you to uh, please check it out. We'll also publish these on podcast platforms next week. Uh, not to belabor the point, but if you if you are a fan of Bharat Vartha, please rate and review us so more people can discover us. All right, with that out of the way, let's uh, talk about the first thing for, from this weekly. Prime Minister Modi's speech at the Redford on Independence Day paints a very positive picture for the future of India. Prime Minister Modi called upon the collective spirit of 130 crores, Team India, to take the country forward and ensure that it is a developed nation in the next 25 years. He highlighted that corruption and dynastic politics were the two biggest challenges in India. He emphasized that India's strength lies in its diversity, calling it the mother of democracy. Prime Minister Modi laid down five resolves or the Panch Pran for the Amrit Kal to work towards a Viksit Bharat or a developed India, remove any vestiges of colonialism, retain our roots, ensure unity and diversity and carry out a citizen's duties. Guys, I think the couple of things that really stood out for me was the part about, you know, decolonizing India and also the emphasis on startups and innovation. Again, you know, I mean, this is like sort of shedding the baggage and having a very forward thinking uh, view of our uh, progress, right? I mean, of, of the way ahead. Yeah, Abhishek, what do you think? Yeah, so as you said, one of the uh, interesting things was you know, the emphasis on startups or entrepreneurship and so on, right? And so he coined a new uh, term, one of those famous slogans, right? So we used to have Jai Jawan, Jai Kisan, then Jai Vigyan was added a few years ago. And then this year he added Jai Anusandan, right? Which means giving the right importance to R&D and research and those kind of things, right? So that's a very welcome uh, step uh, in terms of ensuring or giving citizenry the view that, you know, the top leadership of the country is also looking forward to, you know, more original research and development coming out of the nation, right? Because that's where, you know, our, uh, uh, you know, we, we as a country, we can move up the value chain, right? And that's what is needed in terms of us get, you know, moving on, you know, to become a richer nation, right? So yeah, that was good. As you said, he talked about uh, the punch brand, right? Five pledges for 2047. And the interesting one there, one, one which has caught uh, the headlines and got conversations rolling is uh, him basically saying that we need to come out of the colonial mindset, right? And that is something recently only something which, you know, which has become a topic of discussion in general in society, right? And, you know, I was just thinking like there is this uh, 
few months back there was a video right where a certain IAS officer went to a school in Bihar and he was like blasting the teacher because he was wearing kurta pajama basically as a teacher right and so that's like we are still in the colonial mindset right where we are expecting people simply to wear a shirt and pant because that we, we cannot think beyond that right i mean people are sitting in 35 40 degrees heat it's fine if people are you know in indian clothes and so this kind of colonial mindset sort of steeps in in various forms right whether it is us looking for foreign validation uh, in everything or whether it is at the ground level right where we are not respectful about indian traditions and festivals but we continue to remain in off you know everything western so yeah that's another important thing that he sort of mentioned another good thing i would say is that not just in the speech but in general this government has started to give dues to more than one stream of the indian freedom struggle right so whether it is you know talking about the adivasi freedom struggle uh, you know fighters like birsa munda or aluri sitaram raju right uh, who was featured or on whom the rrr movie is based for example uh, or you know you talked about other freedom fighters who who are basically kind of still ignored in the uh, mainstream narrative so uh, i would say that was another good thing which is a or let's say that's a good development of the last few years uh, which continued in this speech so yeah all in all it's a good uh, speech uh, without Uh, you know really being too out of the way right and another thing i think it talked about india's decade right coming that's a continuing theme of prime minister modi where you know he continues to talk about digital india and there is still a lot of headroom for us right whether it is 5g or semiconductors or optical fibers right so there's a lot of uh, headroom there for india to still you know grow and improve so i think i would say that you know he hit most of the important points that are sort of needed uh, you know for the nation at this point in time yeah it was a great speech uh, for sure and um, i think this narrative shift also right is a very important point that you made which is that looking beyond uh, mahatma gandhi or uh, chacha nehru uh, in terms of the freedom struggle as such i think that of course i mean uh, quite a few people noted on either strain uh, either sides of the political aisle right i mean a few of them were uh, Uh, not very happy with the fact that uh, you know uh, pandit nehru was not given a more prominent place in certain advertisements and so on but yeah i mean it's it's good that on the other side i mean we're seeing that a lot more freedom fighters are 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 being highlighted so that for sure i particularly liked the bit about startups and innovation as i mentioned earlier right i think uh, uh, you know prime minister modi said yesterday startups are today's unicorns uh, and he particularly noted the kind of startups that had come up during the pandemic right in especially difficult time noting also the the record fundraising and the surging valuations and what not and saying that you know this is the fruits of labor uh, right and uh, you know very optimistic for the youth of the country as such uh, so yeah i mean that that was that was really amazing uh, to see the the prime minister talk about these things nirav what kind of stood out for you so one is what always stands out is modi is a master communicator every time he comes up with like a few key points and the way he communicates it or uh, these all remain in people's uh, minds right so he's not only selling an idea and he's ensuring there's retention so that's why like he's a master brander so panch pran this time the other thing is he is looking at like people to do their own duty like the citizens duty right if all of us come together work towards a common goal work towards a long term goal so 
a lot of times the politicians are going from like election cycle to election cycle every six months there's another state election and they're, they're looking here and now uh, at the very immediate but sometimes you too focused you lose your way in the longer direction right so here what he's done is he's saying that okay we've had 75 years we've come so far but now the road for the next 25 years so we are going want to go to become like a fully developed country and uh, calling for like unity unity are in diversity so respecting india's diversity but saying everybody if we are united if everybody works towards making india a developed country if all the 1.4 billion people work together in this direction it kind of galvanizes people right so i think that is a very good thing uh, looking very much like for long term progress and staying on course right so i think that's one thing regardless right he's a master orator a master communicator much more than say like atal bihari vajpayee was a great orator but he was not this good i would say like a brander or the way modi kind of like comes up with these catch phrases or someone in his team but the whole team together has done a fabulous job of like communicating and ensuring there's some sort of retention in the people as well oh absolutely absolutely i mean just a you know i was looking at uh, some videos i mean and they were making a marketing case study out of uh, prime minister modi and the bjp right and so true right i mean if you look at the phrases har ghar tiranga amrit mahotsav right panch pran i mean these are amazing right i mean kind of hits the pulse of the nation actually right all right moving on there is yet another row between the aam aadmi party and the center after minister hardeep singh puri's tweets on rohingya refugees uh, mr puri posted on social media that rohingyas would get basic amenities unhcr identity cards and delhi police protection he later retracted the statement after the delhi government said they were not consulted and the union home ministry denied the report the home ministry later released a statement with their position on illegal foreigners stating that they are to be kept in the detention center as per, per their deportation by law meanwhile the amadvi party opposed the alleged decision saying the elected government was not consulted before making such decisions nirav so what is really happening i mean this got everyone uh, really hot and bothered on twitter uh, but yeah can you can you describe this for our listeners so i think i don't know first it is a failure of communication either it is damage control so first of all uh, india has a huge problem there are big all any big city has a lot of slums uh, there is a lot of illegal encroachment uh there is a lot of uh, people without like good housing even in villages while the government is working towards this you know there is the pm avas yojana there are uh, cheaper housing uh being built and like it's in the process for the economically weaker section of the society obviously uh indian citizen should come first uh i don't know what was the thought process either to try and uh, switch the narrative where india was seemed to be saying that the india was anti refugee on the caa etc or maybe to try and get some sort of like political mileage within delhi where the state government is with aap i don't know what was being thought uh, but either there has been some sort of a miscommunication between different uh, parts of the government or there has been like a misstep which seeing the uh backlash and the furore on social media uh bjp or the and the home ministry so this is the ministry of housing and urban affairs which hardeep singh puri is uh and then the home ministry led by amit shah uh kind of giving clarifications right so one thing is like india has a process for like refugees to come in and uh, i think here all of these are like kind of illegal immigrants uh, india has via like the caa it was 
fast track citizenship to people who have come in before a certain date 2014 and uh, that is also who are uh, subject to religious persecution in their countries uh, myanmar was not a part of it and uh, second thing is the rohingya refugees there is like uh, myanmar says that a lot of them are actually bangladeshis who have come into myanmar i don't know whether it is true or not or what is their domestic situation uh, but here i think due process has to be followed and in a country which is a still i would say we are not poor but we are lower middle income country i think the first resources should be go- given to like indian citizens right so i think that is there uh, uh, basically i think it's like a very big failure of communication and uh, then there has been some fire fighting and uh, something of that sort uh, as for like uh, in terms of uh, what do you say Uh, people are viewing it with their own ideological lens whichever side suits them they, and everybody kind of likes to uh, give their biased opinions and like uh, look at it from that angle but i think uh, whatever it is it is uh, some sort of a mistake uh, which should kind of like the ruling authority should learn from it and also uh, this tells you another thing that in the age of like social media uh, the feedback is much faster so whether positive negative or whichever interest group wants to give i think there is a much faster feedback loop so i don't know it if it was a error which they kind of like took a step back or whether it is uh, like miscommunication within different arms of the government and they were not agreed upon but whichever way i think there is fast feedback and uh, it is the sign of the times that we are living in right so it is what it is yeah no this was a classic case of handlens razor as well right i mean uh... people were very quick to kind of jump to the fact that hey this government doesn't understand the situation and so on and so forth but yeah like the razor says i mean don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to naivety right so um yeah all right uh moving on another contentious topic um, fifa has suspended india's top football administrative organization the aiff the reason given for this move was to quote undue influence from third parties uh the bureau of the fifa council which passed the judgment also took away india's rights to hold the fifa under 17 women's world cup 2022 uh the current set of troubles for the indian football uh indian football federation began after the erstwhile aiff president prafull patel who is also fifa council member refused to relinquish this post as the head of the football federation in the country the supreme court intervened and removed patel from his post replacing him with a committee of administrators Allowing this was a textbook case of third-party interference, according to FIFA statuses. Uh, Abhishek, can you simplify this for our listeners and also explain, you know, what this really means for Indian football? So, um, when it comes to Indian football, uh, like many other sporting bodies, this has remained under the control of uh, very few politicians over the years. Uh, in the nineties and early two thousands, I believe it was the Congress leader Priyaranjan Dash Munshi, who used to you know totally dominate AIFF, and after that I think it went to Prafull Patel, right? So Prafull Patel, the NCP leader, um, and I think a former cabinet minister as well, right? Or at least he was the uh, minister for airlines, I think. So civil aviation. So um, so he basically has been heading AIFF for a. long time um so elections were due uh 
for AIFF, but there were, you know, allegations of misconduct or whatever, like internal corruption and things like that. And therefore, uh, the elections were not being held for a certain period of time. And so, it, as it happens in many things, it basically the case ended up in the Supreme Court. Now, uh, cricket fans will remember that uh, a few years ago, the Supreme Court had sort of formed a kind of committee to even regulate Indian cricket, right? And because the PCCI was not, you know, doing reforms. And so in this case as well, the Supreme Court formed, formed a three-member committee, uh, the COA as it is called here, to basically, you know, uh, bring back order into the uh, AIFF. Now, uh, to FIFA, it appears like uh, the National Football Association of a country is facing interference from outside authorities, right? The FIFA will not, uh, the FIFA is not okay with someone like the Supreme Court stepping in, right? And according to FIFA, it is the for the AIFF themselves to, you know, sort their issues out internally without any external influence. So F FIFA has sent, you know, laid down certain steps to be followed uh, so that the AIFF can get back on track, conduct elections accordingly and so on. But it's not okay with Supreme Court stepping in. And so with that being the uh, reason, uh, they essentially ended up suspending or banning India uh, officially uh, last week. Now, as you said, India was also supposed to hold the Women's uh, Junior World Cup later this year. And so obviously with AIFF no longer being a valid organization under FIFA, that hosting opportunity sadly goes away from India. So yeah, I'm hopeful that, you know, uh, things will get sorted out quickly. I think the government is in touch with uh, FIFA via the Ministry of Youth Affairs and Sports and yeah hopefully um, uh, this things get sorted out unfortunately uh, while Indian sports has been doing really well uh, you know in recent years we do know that it's still going to be under some sort of uh, political influence right because um, that's that's one of the areas where, you know, our political leaders like to venture out, right? That is by uh, heading various sports bodies, whether it is at the central level or the state level. But yeah, I think uh, things sort of went totally out of whack here and we are at this point. No, I don't think we can, I mean, what is a politician, right? I mean, hypothetically tomorrow you and I also can fight an election. So I don't think that is something which is, uh, I don't think that seems like a logical way out. You could say that, okay, fine, uh, ministers at central and state level 
should not get involved or something like that is probably more possible i think what is needed is probably better coverage of uh, sports uh, so that you know the public also takes a more keener interest and then with that kind of public support possibly you know more former sports persons can you know come up and you know come uh, you know fight these elections and so on yeah so i think two things one is uh, sports administration is a very different skill set from playing sports not a lot of good sports players either even not even coaching is like a different skill set so i think yes sports administration uh, while a lot of politicians get in see it's where uh, in india apart from like cricket not a lot of uh, sports generate enough money by themselves to be like self uh, uh, organizing or se- uh, being able to fund themselves so it's all given by the largest of the government and now it is where you are allocating money politicians find a way to kind of get all these things help out their cronies etc they get all these plum postings and uh, this is the way way kind of they exert their power so what is probably needed is like something where people who are involved in like the sport administration at like either local level of clubs or like other organizational abilities who have organizational skill set so i'll give an example like jagmohan dalmia was never a cricketer but a master administrator right and probably all indian sports federations need that uh, indians are now taking key interest in indian sports there's a lot more television viewership so there could be a lot more sponsorship so i think if that done better is a lot better than like politicians trying to exert their power and uh, try to uh, hold on to things where neither do they have any expertise nor even do they have any interest if there are people within the administration of sports clubs etc uh, they rise up they at least have interest in the sport or running the sport so i think uh, this is probably like some sort of a reform and that has to come from below from the fans from the people no for sure i mean i think uh, somewhere you know we had to put an end to the gravy train as such uh right where uh, the the cronies of politicians can uh, mooch off of uh, the coffers of these uh, federations right um yeah and, and less corruption more professionalism for sure uh, couldn't agree more um uh, moving on a suspicious boat was found in maharashtra's raigad containing assault rifles and other weapons uh maharashtra deputy chief minister mr devendra fadnavis uh who is also in charge of the state home ministry informed the assembly that the police were called and the yacht was searched after it was found by fishermen near hariharishwar port uh, the deputy chief minister also said the vessel is called lady han uh, and is owned by an australian woman uh, hanna londergan uh, while the weapons have been have since been recovered by the police there are still questions regarding their origin nirav i mean we haven't seen something like this on the internal security front in a long time right i remember you know at one point of time uh, perhaps 10 years or 15 years back i mean this used to be a regular thing right bombs and trains and what not uh, is this reason for alarm or so there's a lot more than meets the eye right so one is it's like a, a ocean worthy uh, 15 meter long sailing yacht right uh, with like its mast down etc and which has drifted towards raigad right so this is a classic spy novel stuff or like movie stuff so what the claim is being made is that an australian couple was sailing from europe and they were on the way back to australia and near the gulf of oman where they were caught in a storm uh, the boat was capsizing and uh, then they called out an sos and a korean ship uh, picked them up a merchant ship of uh, 
with the Korean flag, they picked them up and they got saved. And now this boat drifted to uh, uh, all the way to Raigad. So one that is that could be possible, but uh, two, if the boat was capsizing, then how could the boat float all the way to Raigad, right? So a that seems fishy. I'm not so sure. Maybe the internal navigation system or like the mast broke off. I'm not too sure. Two, uh, supposedly there were just two people on board. Uh, and they have three AK-47 guns, right? So, you know, like, it's like, uh, something doesn't add up, right? Or like that Gabbar Singh dialogue, right? Do, wo, do, or banduk teen, you know, doesn't add up. Three, the guns are AK-47. So if they're like, actually, in Australia being like a US ally, the guns that Australians use, first, it's very difficult to procure guns in Europe or Australia. Two, that the guns which that block uses is typically M16s and AR-15s which are the automatic machine guns used of choice. AK-47 is a Russian design. A lot of like a terrorist, because it's there in the black market after the Soviet Union collapsed. A lot of people have copied that design and then manufactured it in many places. India being like a closer to Russian ally, Indian army uses AK-47s. But this is not a weapon of choice for somebody who's an Australian citizen. It is not easily procurable. So definitely there's a lot more than what meets the eye. Uh, probably, I don't know, it could be like a terrorist shipment or something, some arms deal at sea which went wrong, who knows. Uh, I think only time will tell. Obviously, the authorities are smart enough. If like a person like me, like a complete novice can uh, think about these things, uh, our uh, police, coast guard, etc., they might have gone through all of that and scenarios. But definitely, uh, it's something more than which meets the eye. Uh, probably needs a lot more investigation and uh, some uh, root cause or something needs to be seen. And uh, second thing is uh, like the Australian couple who owns the boat, if they kind of make a claim or an insurance claim or something, then probably they need to be answerable to questions, right? So uh, I don't know. Uh, thankfully, uh, this has been caught and uh, there's no other untoward damage. There's no other group which probably was getting uh, uh, three AK-47 guns with a lot of ammunition. So uh, yeah, uh, hopefully this is one like one-off incident and uh, we don't see some sort of like a repeat thing or some attempt to smuggle arms inside the country, etc. And finally, BJP has revamped its pre premier parliamentary board after eight years, uh, while Union Minister uh, Mr. Nitin Gadkari and Madhya Pradesh Chief Minister uh, Mr. Shivraj Singh Chauhan were dropped. Union Minister Sarbananda Sonowal and former Karnataka Chief Minister B.S. Yadurapa are among the six new members. Uh, the move also comes months before the Gujarat Assembly elections, which will kick off a series of electoral contests, culminating with the national elections in the first half of 2024. Abhishek, how do you read this? Yeah, I mean, uh, as it happens with these cases, there is going to be a lot of uh, media reporting and speculation, uh, not just on those who were included in the uh, you know parliamentary board but those who were left out or not included right and so uh, there is a lot of reportage happening right now on why mr nitin gadkari has not been you know kept in this parliamentary board why has mr uh, shivraj singh chauhan you know not been uh, uh, kept in this or why for example uh, yogi adityanath is not part of this parliamentary board so yeah, I think a uh, lot of interesting media speculation is happening. When it comes to this current board, 
uh, from what I can see, uh, they made an effort to include uh, people from uh, different parts of the country. So they've tried to have, uh, let's say, Sarbananda Sonwal representing Assam. You have Iqbal Singh Lalpura rep representing Punjab. Right, so uh, there's someone from Madhya Pradesh, there's someone from Andhra Pradesh. So they've, I think they've tried to spread out, uh, spread it out geographically. They've tried to spread it out in terms of, uh, you know, whether it is uh, caste, uh, you know, whether it is, you know, you look at SCST, OBC, those kind of parameters. So, I mean, they've tried to make it sort of what people generally say, right, diverse in terms of uh, region or background, right? Uh, this, I think Karnataka is probably the only state uh, apart from Gujarat, which has uh, two representatives, right? So there is P.S. Yadurappa and P.L. Santosh. And one interesting thing I noted is they have also included people from like different generations, like someone like Satyanarayan Jatia is uh, someone who was, you know, uh, there in the Atal Bihari Vajpayee cabinet, right? And then recently he was a member of parliament and so on. But interesting to uh, give once again emphasis for people who have largely been out of the um, you know, public light as well. So, yeah, I, I found it quite interesting and I think it will be quite significant, as you said, with the elections coming up, uh, this is the definitely the most powerful uh, governing body within the BJP. And so it's always uh, interesting to note who are the people in charge of this. All right, uh, that's a wrap from us uh, here at the weekly. We have a couple of uh, uh, very interesting episodes coming up. We have uh, one with uh, Professor Gautam Desiraju. Uh, he is uh, among the uh, the most cited uh, scientists that India has pro uh, you know uh, produced, right? Uh, in fact, I think the perhaps the second or third most cited scientist. Um, yeah, and and he has this uh, new book coming out, Bharat 2.0, which is very interesting. We're going to be talking to uh, Professor Desi Raju about that. Uh, also, we have a familiar face uh, back on the podcast. We have Ashish Chandorkar, um, right, who is a consular a permanent mission of India to the WTO and an old friend of Bharat Vartha. Uh, a lot of you have asked for his return, and so he is uh, kind enough to come on uh, uh, one of these episodes. Uh, so we'll be talking about uh, trade and exports and how India is positioned uh, in these respects and why it is important for us. Uh, so yeah, a couple of very good, uh, you know, episodes coming up. Uh, do check it out. Uh, and again, uh, please, please, please rate review us on all of your platforms. Uh, it really, really helps uh, more people discover uh, Bharat Vartha's content. Uh, so thank you again for joining us on this lovely Sunday. Hope you have a fantastic week ahead. And Jai Hind.